Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We'll end our reading there, and we'll just bow again just in a short moment of prayer. Father, we do thank you tonight for the blessing that it has been to be here. Uh, Father, the, the world simply doesn't know what they're missing out on. Uh, when they choose, they choose not to come into this beautiful building and to sit under uh, that s- such beautiful ministry and song and, uh, and, and hear words where, whereby they might be saved. But Lord, as Jonathan has said, we're glad that you're here tonight and we are glad also to be in your presence. And now, Lord, as we come to look again at your word this evening, Father, we pray that you'll speak through your spirit and bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. According to verses 10 through to 13, Christians are in a fierce war with Satan. The enemy is mighty and his tactics are deceptive. So in order to claim and live in the victory that Christ has won for us at Calvary, we must stand firm and put on the spiritual armor that God has given us for the battle to ward off Satan's expected onslaught. The soldiers in Paul's day were the men of the Roman legions who had conquered most of the known world as far north as Britain and even as far south as Sudan. He had seen their soldiers firsthand and he was familiar with their dress and equipment. And in Ephesians 6 here, he uses the Roman soldier as an illustration to describe the equipment available and also essential to the Christian soldier for the spiritual battle. To assist us to be victorious in the Christian life, you see, we must put on the whole armour of God, because to put on the armour of God is to put on Jesus Christ. Armour is no use to us if it's left back in the barracks, but if we take it, If we wear it and we use the armour, it will enable us to stand and to resist the daily onslaughts that we endure by the unseen enemy around us. Satan's mission, you see, is to defeat and to destroy us in the battle. But it is God's will for us to have success in the battle. In the end, we know that Satan will be defeated and cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. But for the moment, 
The devil is still on the loose, seeking whom he may devour. And until the war ends and the day of Satan's eternal imprisonment begins, friends, there is a battle to fight. And we are issued with the armor of God as a means to stand for and walk with the Lord in spite of everything that the devil will throw at us. The armor of God consists of six pieces of equipment. It's not just a random list here because each piece is important and each piece is in order. First of all, we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And so tonight I want to look at the first two pieces of the Christian soldier's armor, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And first of all, the belt of truth. Verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Your loins is that part of you between your lower rib and the top of your hip. The British Army still issues a webbing belt that sits in exactly the same position and location today, around the waist from which they attach their various pouches, including their ammunition pouch, their water bottle pouch, their gas mask pouch, their utility pouch, and even their bayonet scarboard. But what was the function here of this ancient Roman belt? Well, the belt was made of leather, and it was used as a sheath to holster the soldier's sword. But its main function was to girt about or fasten around the long and the loosely worn sleeveless robe the soldiers would have worn in those days, uh, very like what we would uh, call a a, a wardrobe or a, a dressing gown in, uh, today. You see, to try and to run and to fight in hand-to-hand combat, the, the robe would have hindered the soldier's freedom of movement. And so he was issued with a belt so that he could hitch up and bind together his robe, leaving the soldier free to fight. This is why this piece of equipment is mentioned first. You see, when the soldier's robe was tucked in under his belt, he was then ready for action. And when the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt during the Passover, he told them in Exodus chapter 12, Eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Israelites were were to be ready to go, and friends, we must also be ready to go. You see, you can have all the other parts of the armor sitting pretty and nicely stacked and folded, but if you're not prepared and ready for action, the enemy will surprise you. Street preachers are now being regularly attacked, and when it appears on social media, many of the people who comment are actually cheerleaders for the attackers. They think that the the, the preachers deserve it because they would dare to preach the gospel. It is nothing new, of course, because Paul was stoned and Stephen was stoned to death. Jonathan has reminded us that John Bunyan, he was jailed for 12 years because of preaching the gospel. Stanley Mawinney, in his book Daybreak Over Ireland, he tells of the opposition that he used to face when he was preaching the gospel in the 60s and 70s. And even just a few weeks ago, we were, we, we were attacked and our microphone was broken during our open air in Belfast. Friends, persecution is to be expected, and yet it is nothing compared to what the church is experiencing in Muslim countries at the moment. 
In verse 13, we see that the, the purpose of the armor was so that the Christian soldier could withstand in the evil day. I'm not really sure if Paul could have imagined just how evil the days would become. Saints praying on the streets are arrested. Sodomites parading on the streets are applauded. And nurses killing unborn babies are now being awarded. Sodomy has crept into the schools. Ministers and Bibles and Christian assemblies are being replaced with storybooks read by drag queens in libraries. Sodomites can't reproduce, so they now enter the schools to try and recruit. One school in Edinburgh, I am told, has three pupils going to the Scripture Union, but it has 153 going to the LGBT club. The Church of England are now going to bless the sin of same-sex marriage, and they're now going to have a discussion on whether to call God a he or a she or a they or a them. Of course, they can call their God whatever they like because their God is not the God of this Bible. Folks, we are in a war and we must be prepared and ready to go. We must be ready to stand firm and fight because if we don't take a stand now, then when are we going to take a stand? If unborn babies and primary school children aren't worth fighting for today, then what is worth fighting for? The belt pulled the loose clothing here together. And likewise, the Christian must be prepared in his heart and mind for, for, for battle by pulling or reining in any thoughts or habits that would hinder his effectiveness in the fight. Peter wrote, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The belt of truth represents a life and mind that is pulled together, that is disciplined and ready to serve for the glory of God. The belt speaks of integrity. The opposite, of course, of integrity is hypocrisy. And the devil can spot a hypocrite a mile away. So, friends, don't be a hypocrite. Don't try to live a a double life. We must be like Jesus Christ who said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. If we're going to be effective for God, we must gather up all the loose ends of our lives, putting God number one in our life and stand fast until the end because the Lord Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. Failure to gather up our own cares and habits and interests and lusts and pleasures will entangle us and hinder our fight in the spiritual battle between good and evil. Just as a loose garment on a soldier would have left it easy for the enemy to tug at him and pull him down. You see, when you take up your cross, war is inevitable and a good soldier will be dedicated to the cause. You'll remember Uriah the Hittite back from the battle lay at the, the king's door all night rather than go down to the, to, just to go down the street to spend the night with his wife. And Paul is saying that truth is the first essential in the spiritual battle against Satan and it is on this that everything else depends. Truth holds everything else together. Truth here means having a working knowledge and belief of the truth. This is the first and crucial qualification for the soldier of Christ. To face the enemy with a mind filled with uncertainty is to be a spiritual cripple before a powerful opponent. Putting on the belt of truth indicates confidence in the truth of Scripture. And this is the foundation of everything. Without the truth, believers are easy prey for the enemy of our souls. In verse 17, Paul goes on to tell us how to use the truth. But here it is the truth itself that he brings before us. 
when Jesus Christ was praying to his Father in heaven, he said, Thy word is truth. This is why the devil has tried to discredit the scriptures for thousands of years. And he's done that through various means, including science. But of course, science can never disprove the Bible. What science believes today, they will reject tomorrow on the grounds that it has been disproved by more reliable truth. Moses, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. But at one time, science told us that that was completely impossible because writing hadn't even been invented in Moses' day. And then archaeologists came along and they discovered thousands of inscriptions dating back to a time long before Moses. And it is now known that in Moses' day, there were at least six different written languages. And then we can fast forward three and a half thousand years to the present day with the COVID virus and the rollout of the vaccinations. Scientists and politicians, and we, we can all remember this, uh, they, they appeared on television and they're on record saying that if you take the shot, if you take the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID, you're not going to pass it on. And the vaccine passports were then brought in on that basis and were designed to keep the, the vaccinated away from the unvaccinated. Of course, it later emerged that regardless of your vaccine status, you could catch the virus and you could pass it on. So friends, isn't it better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man? And the belt of truth then settles what our final authority is. Speaking of the devil, Jesus said he is a liar and he is the father of it. So the only way to combat lies is with the truth. The only way to open the eyes of the spiritually blind is to expose them to the truth. And Jesus said the truth shall make you free. The problem is this. People today, they don't want to hear the truth. Nevertheless, we are called to set before them the way of life and the way of death, so that they either believe the things that are spoken, or they believe not. But the proverb says, He that refuseth instruction actually despiseth his own soul. The word of God is the truth. Therefore, the Bible is our only authority. Of course, there are many excellent books today written by trusted spiritual men whose motive is to glorify God and to assist and help God's people. But, you know, none of those books are infallible. They cannot be put on the same level as God's word. They cannot be our final authority. Only the Bible is the infallible word of the infallible God. Christian bookshops are are bulging with novels and commentaries and testimonies and daily readings and prophecy and sermon outlines and eschatology. But unlike these books, the Bible is not the word of man. It is the word of God. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, No prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible is inspired by God. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The proverb says every word of God is pure. And because of this, we can rely upon it as our infallible authority in this spiritual war. It is truth, it is trustworthy, it is accurate, it is dependable, it is as perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. When my father was in the army cadets, I suppose over 60 years ago now, he was issued with a little army manual on how to be a good soldier. 
There were chapters in that little book on drill, fieldcraft, 303 weapon handling, shooting skills, first aid, map reading, and so on and so on. The Bible is God's manual and has been issued to us. God's men have given their lives so that we could have the scriptures today. God's manual instructs us on how to be good Christian soldiers. How do we know what to believe? How do we know what to say? How do we know how to react to things that are happening today? We simply open the scriptures. God's manual to see how God will guide us. This is our final authority. It is complete and no new revelation is required. When we come to the Holy Scriptures, we are actually coming to God. God's word also reveals to us what we need to know about life and death, heaven and hell, God and Satan. It teaches us that we are sinners separated from God. Spurgeon once said, when you feel yourself to be utterly unworthy, you have hit the truth. But God's word also reveals to us God's plan to bring us back to him, which was through the sacrificial death of his only son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved from the wages of our sin, which is everlasting punishment in an eternal hell. So if you're not saved this evening, but are prepared to repent and believe the gospel, then you can be saved. You can be born again from above into God's family, even this evening. The psalmist summarizes the purpose of God's word very well when he said, Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto my path. So when we put on the belt of truth, when we have an absolute trust in the truth of the word of God, when our beliefs and our doctrines are governed entirely by the Bible and not by our feelings or changes in society or government legislation or even police intimidation, then and only then are we wearing the belt of truth. If we do not wear the belt of truth, we will never be victorious in the battle that currently rages around us, and the devil will defeat us in every single conflict. When Joshua was preparing for the conquest in Canaan, he greatly encouraged him by referring to his truth. He said in Joshua chapter 1, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong enough of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. The belt of truth not only refers to having a working knowledge of truth, but also our, our attitude to the truth. We must be committed to the truth. There is no room for half-hearted commitment, which in reality is no commitment at all. Those who are girt about with truth are those who are walking with the Lord by obeying his truth. They are focused on the Lord and have set their hearts on total commitment to the Lord. They are walking, they are walking example of that truth. They are disciplined and prepared for the war that they are in. In fact, they are the soldiers that Jesus was talking about when he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then, of course, secondly, there is the breastplate of righteousness. Again, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. 
The breastplate was a, a piece of sleeveless armour that covered the full torso of the legionnaire. It consisted of two parts, the front and the back. Some breastplates were made from thick pieces of leather, others were made from large pieces of metal, and both were tailor-made to fit the man that would wear it. This was the piece of armour that protected the heart and the lungs and the stomach and the liver. A wound, you see, to any of those vital organs would usually have been fatal in those days of primitive medication. Without the body being protected by the breastplate, no soldier would have lasted very long in the battle. Soldiers and police officers still wear body armour today, which are often called stab vests or flak jackets or bulletproof vests. When I was a soldier, we had two extra steel plates which slipped into a pocket, one in the front and one to the rear of the jacket, and it covered the area in and around the heart because that was the area that an, an enemy sniper might have had his uh, crosshairs of his rifle sights fixed on you. Christian soldiers also need something to protect their own hearts in their spiritual warfare because the devil will always attack this vital part of the Christian. When we speak of the heart, of course, we mean the human being. Before salvation, we were crooked, polluted, untrustworthy, crafty, and treacherous to the core. We were consumed by sin and totally depraved. Those were the the symptoms of a terminal illness for which only Christ had the cure. The heart is regarded as the centerpiece of our desires. And we would probably still say things today like, I love you with all my heart, or my heart tells me that I should do it. Our feelings and emotions and conscience and affections and will are all included in the protection offered by the breastplate of righteousness. Every believer will experience attacks in these areas. You may have feelings and desires and emotions that are prone to constant changing. One day you might be in the mountaintop of joyfulness and then the next day you might be in the valley of despondency. One minute you might hunger after the things of God The next minute you might be dominated by worldly pleasure. One week you'll be maybe praying in the prayer meeting and maybe the next week you can't even be bothered to go to the prayer meeting. You see, friends, this is all an attack of the enemy on our hearts and it is why we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness every single day. Satan loves to attack our mind and our emotions. He'll fill our mind with false doctrines and false emotions He'll tempt us to think the wrong thoughts, follow the wrong desires, cause uh, us to love the wrong things, pursue the wrong goals, chase the wrong dreams, and, and commit to the wrong cause. Many a young life was wasted away in Ulster's jails, or, or worse still, in a graveyard and in hell, when Satan tempted them to commit to the wrong cause. Satan will try to delete the truth from our minds and replace it with his own perversion. He'll try to stop us from living pure and holy lives and entice us towards greed and jealousy and hatred and envy and immorality. He'll want to desensitize us to our sin, leave it unconfessed and regard it as just a normal way of life, and he'll try to discourage us from seeking the forgiveness of God. He'll do this by attacking our thoughts and our feelings. If he can cause us to think the wrong way and follow the wrong feelings, he will drag us into the dirt of the world and away from the Lord. We all know people that Satan has knocked out of the battle and they have remained casualties in this spiritual war ever since. 
And this is why God issues us here with the breastplate of righteousness. And it is crucial that we put it on, not only for protection against these attacks, but to give us confidence which will enable us to fight, to go on the offensive and to triumph over the devil when he strikes out. So what does this righteousness mean here? Well, I believe it has more than one meaning. But I want to remind you tonight what it definitely does not mean. You see, there is a self-righteousness which is not of God. It is no righteousness at all and is the worst of all sins and is definitely not what Paul is speaking about here. The person who trusts in this type of righteousness believes that they can earn God's favor, God's reward and, and, and a place in God's heaven all by themselves. They think that their good works of righteousness can outweigh their bad works and that they are better than everyone else. They believe that, that if they can do the best that they can, then this will be good enough for God. But of course, regarding our salvation, the Bible is very clear. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. The self-righteous person does not grasp the fact that their righteousnesses are nothing more than filthy rags and that God's heaven is closed to them until they come the blood-sprinkled way to the cross. At all times, we must remember that this is God's armour. This is not our armour. So the breastplate of righteousness is not ours. Paul is not referring to our righteousness, but to God's righteousness. If it were even possible to enter the battle dressed in our own righteousness, we would be in a hopeless situation. What we need, therefore, is God's armor and God's righteousness, which is invincible. And this is what God provides. Paul said uh, in Philippians 3, He found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, Paul had once trusted in his own righteousness, but then he was able to write to the Romans after his conversion, saying, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Therefore, the first type of righteousness Paul is meaning here is the imputed righteousness, which is the very foundation of the Christian life. At the moment of our conversion, God covers us in the righteousness of Christ. Just as Abraham was the recipient of God's righteousness because of his faith, we too become recipients of God's righteousness when we believe in him who raised up Jesus from the dead. The Bible says in Isaiah 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with what? He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. We are covered in the robe of Christ's righteousness when we repent and believe the gospel and when we, were, when we are saved and born again into his family. Christ's righteousness was imputed to us and we were justified by faith in the eyes of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, he that he hath made him to be sin for us, that was God made Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Roman soldier going into battle might have been as strong as an ox. He might have fought like a gladiator, but he realized that one throw of a spear, one swing of a sword, one flying arrow had the potential to finish him off. And so he covered himself with another body, a much stronger body, a breastplate. His protection, uh, 
then was not in him, but it was on him. And in the same way, our breastplate, our eternal protection, is the imputed righteousness of God, which is his robe on us. When a soldier entered a battle wearing his breastplate, he had a great sense of confidence and assurance. He knew and he believed that he was safe. And when we enter the spiritual battle wearing the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, we will have a great sense of confidence and assurance because we know that no matter what's going, no matter what's going to happen, what will take place, we are eternally safe. Jesus said, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. But there is another type of righteousness in the Bible, which Paul is also speaking about here, I believe. And it is imparted righteousness, which means sanctification. That which we live out in a practical way every day of our lives. When righteousness is imputed to us, the life of Christ within us imparts or passes on the desire to pursue righteousness. Having been saved by grace and covered with the imputed righteousness of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit now begins to work within us to change or to sanctify us. So the good in us is the God in us. <coughs> Gradually our thinking and our desires and our outlook on life will begin to change. We will never be sinless, of course, in this world, but we do begin to hit the sin. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And all things becoming new is our imparted practical righteousness on display. The righteousness which saved us was not ours but covered us like a robe and is now becoming a part of us. We begin to grow in grace and knowledge of God. Imputed righteousness is all Christ and is perfect and absolute. It covers us and makes us acceptable to God. Imparted righteousness is the Holy Spirit making us more like Christ. It is the continual work of God within us. And even though in this life it will never make us perfect, it does make us more Christ-like. This imparted righteousness makes us hate all that the devil stands for. We are new creatures with a new Lord and Master in a war against evil. This is the breastplate of righteousness that is going to protect our heart and all that flows from it. It is that righteousness of God imputed to us in salvation and is gradually being imparted to us in the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Assurance of salvation is one of the most valuable assets of the Christian soldier in his fight against Satan, and it is God's will for all his people. The Bible gives us much reason to have assurance of God's salvation. First John says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so it's important to have this unwavering assurance, because Satan knows that assurance of our own position as a child of God will keep us strong in the war against him. So he will always attempt to make us doubt our own salvation. Assurance can become vulnerable at the point of our feelings. Of course, feelings are very important uh, and a very important part of each one of us, especially in our spiritual life. 
You know, you can't really believe the gospel without feeling something. No one can be in the presence of God and remain unmoved. So feelings and emotions are are normal and inevitable. If you were to read Acts chapter 5, you would see that the early church responded with feelings of great fear and rejoicing. Feelings are normal. But the devil will make us put too much emphasis on feelings. Feelings will excite and stimulate and encourage, but feelings will never last. And therefore, feelings can be dangerous and unreliable. Remember, friends, the heart is deceitful. And so it's not enough to say that I know I am saved because I feel it in my heart. Because what about the days that you're not going to feel it in your heart? And I think we've all experienced those days. It is at this point the devil will pour into our mind all sorts of doubts as to whether or not we are truly saved at all. And as a result, depression and misery often sets in. Christians who rely too much on feelings can experience great heights of ecstatic spiritual joy one day and yet can also know great depths of spiritual despair the next day. Feelings are important. And if you don't have feelings, then beware. But friends, never base your faith and your life on your feelings. That is one of the wiles or the tricks of the devil. Our faith is not dependent on our feelings but on the love and the grace and the mercy of God to us in Christ. Our confidence is in the everlasting imputed righteousness of God, which then leads to imparted righteousness. And that is what is meant when we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Our assurance is in what God has done for us in his one-time sacrifice for our sins and not in any fleeting feeling of a moment. You know, the story is told of two Hebrew boys on the night of the Passover in Egypt. Each was the eldest in the family, so each boy knew exactly what was going to happen uh, that night. Their only hope was in the promise of God, that if the blood of the Passover lamb was sprinkled on the doorframe of their home, then the judgment would pass over them. Their families did as God commanded, And the two boys went to bed that night. One boy slept safe without any trouble. He was absolutely confident that he was safe under the blood. But the other boy tossed and he turned all night. He was racked with worry and fear and doubt. So which two boys were the safest? After all, one trusted and the other was plagued with feelings of worry and uncertainty. So which two boys were the safest? Well, of course, the answer is both were as safe as the other. You see, their safety did not depend on their feelings, but on the promises of the word of God, who said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The devil also attacks us in our conscience. The Bible calls him the great accuser. He brings our sin before us constantly and accuses us of not being real Christians at all. And we've all experienced this type of attack. And friends, this is the value of the breastplate. When we have put on the breastplate, we can always flee to the righteousness of Christ every single time. The hymn writer put it like this. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Saviour died, 
My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The breastplate is invulnerable because the devil has no answer to the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness is our strength and our defence. We put on the breastplate when we are absolutely dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We must therefore learn to glory in Christ, to magnify Christ and to delight in Christ. It is this that causes Satan to flee. If you keep on trusting in your own abilities and depending on your own good and favourable feelings, you will always be vulnerable to demonic attack. Imputed righteousness assures us that our sins have been dealt with. Imparted righteousness guards us from treating sin lightly and will create in us a love for the things of God and hatred of the devil and all his works. Imputed and imparted righteousness combine here in the breastplate and together they form God's provision to protect us against the accusations and the insinuations of the enemy. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness are essential pieces here of the armour of God. And when we are putting them on and, and when they are worn, we are on our way to becoming a believer who is able to, as chapter, or as that verse 13 says, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We trust the Lord will bless uh, these few thoughts to our hearts this evening. We'll turn in closing to 473, if you're using the hymn books. 473, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? In the name, the precious name of him who died for me, through grace I'll win the promised crown, whatever my cross may be. We'll stand as we bring our meeting to a close. 473.